Awesome. Good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's great to join in with you all this morning. It is a pleasure to, uh, to be able to make it here. I almost texted uh, Pastor Dean at midnight last night and said, I don't think I'm going to be making it over the hill. It was, it was kind of one of those days where my wife and I had, it had been pouring all day and we had had a fire. We'd been sitting in front of the fire, very cozy. And that's nice at first. Oh, a little bit of a storm. Um, oh, look at the trees. They're, they're blowing around a bit. Isn't that nice? And then after a while we go, oh, look at the trees a bit there. Uh, and it got a little bit scarier, but we made it across this morning, thankfully. So um, it's great to join with you all again this morning. Um, you know, I get to this point in the service each week where it is such a privilege to open the Word of God, to consider uh, what the voice of the Spirit would say to us today. But let's consider what, the, what we have declared up until this point this morning. You know, it's very easy for church to become a, a habit that we engage in. Wonderful. But this morning, we've declared that, that God is good. We've declared that He is faithful over us, that His favor is upon us that in our weeping and in our rejoicing, he is with us. This is more than positive thinking. And if it is just positive thinking, we abdicate, we give up the greatest blessings in our lives that we would ever know. If this is only something that makes us feel good for the rest of the week, we're losing out on a life that we don't know. But if this is true for us, if the Lord's presence in our life guards us, wow, we're in an exciting place then. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a powerful place to be. I don't want us to pass over what the Spirit has already been saying to us this morning. Growing up in, in rural Mozambique, I was uh, the son of missionaries. And so I grew up in, in Southeast Africa and in Mozambique. I was educated in Kenya. And uh, where I grew up, I, I, I was surrounded by many different races. And I knew I would never be black as a young child, of course. But, but that didn't uh, mean I couldn't attempt to somehow embody uh, some long-past African preacher. I had this desire of being kind of a South, uh, Southern American African preacher one day. And, uh, and we know that, that a preacher of this kind doesn't just come onto the stage and say, good morning, church. Um, he's more likely uh, to assume the position with gravitas and, and say something like, the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior be with you, brothers and sisters. And, uh, and the response, of course, would be that you would reply with, uh, and the grace and peace of the Lord be with you. Uh, this, this is actually not, not with the, uh, the accent, but this is how we would greet each other in Mozambique. Uh, we would say, tu Señor, the peace of the Lord, the peace of the Lord uh, be with you. When we had nothing else to give in Mozambique, we would share with each other a beautiful greeting of peace. And while it seemed little, in a way, is that not the most precious thing that we can give one another? Grace and peace. This was the greeting that the Apostle Paul used in each one of the letters that he wrote to in the epistles. Two words that perhaps summarize the Christian faith more than any others. While nowadays it may appear to be a quaint, somewhat outdated, but otherwise perfectly acceptable greeting, it was a poignant statement a declaration of sorts to those who heard it from Paul. Greek was the accepted common language uh, in the world at the time, and kareian was the word for greetings. We see this used in other authors of Scripture like uh, Luke and Acts and James and his epistle, yet Paul doesn't use the word kareian. He uses the word karias, grace. And I'm all for nerdy wordplay. Excuse me one moment while indulge in nerdy wordplay. He, he was taking this 
word that sounded like greetings in Greek and changed it slightly and spoke out grace over those who heard it. Grace, the essence of salvation, God's riches at Christ's expense. He spoke out grace and he paired it with a Hebrew word, shalom, peace. But not peace as we understand it in English. Shalom is a rich term. It's the way things ought to be. What was lost at the fall was shalom. And the final restoration of the final things will not just be in God, it will be in the way things ought to be. So Paul, a Jew, took this Hebrew concept of the way things ought to be and combined it with a little Greek wordplay. And he spoke out grace and peace to those who read him. Perhaps some of you are thinking, we've had Jonathan Ayling speak before. And isn't it just so like him to spend five minutes saying good morning? It's probably true. I'm not known for being particularly concise. But I do hope that we don't miss the beauty of what this gathering this morning is. To to relish, to revel, to glory in the grace and peace that we know as Christians. That defies the worries and the anxieties and fears of the world that surround us. We come together today that, to proclaim that because of Christ's grace, which we know because of his love and redemption through the cross, we can have peace that passes the world's understanding. That's a message the world needs this morning. Brothers and sisters, grace and peace be unto you. Christianity over the past 2,000 years has impacted this world in many varied ways, but it's come in our day to be associated largely with buildings and perhaps moralistic teaching and a varied past. In the West, at least, the church is part of the proverbial furniture, we could say, something we simply accept, often passively and unquestioningly. Yet in the first century, to be a follower of this man called Christ was near the most radical, defiant thing one could do. It was certainly not a choice made lightly. And yet thousands, tens of thousands, millions over the years have been captivated, enthralled, and undone by the radical teachings of a Jewish man from Galilee. And I believe that in our peripheral association many of us have had or perhaps still have with the church, an association of passive, unquestioning acceptance. We have come to entirely misunderstand the necessarily countercultural nature of our faith. In the first century, Christianity was not perceived or understood to be a religion. It was too dramatic too controversial, too radical for that. It was understood to be an entire way of life, which reorientated everything in light of the fact that God himself had come and died for us and that he had risen again. To believe in God, therefore, is not Christianity. To attend church, to adhere to do's and don'ts, it was not for this reason that Christ was killed. And far more importantly, it was not for this reason that Christ rose from the dead. The putting of everything right, things as they ought to be, by means of his love and mercy and the transformation of our inner beings, that is why Christ died and rose again. 
And if we take from his sacrifice simply a moralistic ethic or a performative Sunday ritual, we pass over the most radical, transformative, deeply needed display of love and redemption this world has known. It was regarding this karish and shalom, this peace through grace, that Christ spoke when he began his ministry. Can you imagine the tense anticipation, the, the electric silence as he took the floor that day? Those who had gathered had all heard stories, or rumors is probably a better word because surely these stories couldn't actually be factual. This young teacher had traveled all over the surrounding areas of Galilee, and on this Saturday morning, the Shabbat, the holy day of rest, they found him in their synagogue. And he rose unassumingly. He took the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he read from what we now call chapter 61. And he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This great ministry of setting things right as they ought to be, to bring shalom. It makes me think of some of the stories of the lives Christ touched that we see in Scripture, where we see a radical resetting by the power of God. Simeon's childhood had initially been interrupted irregularly as the reality of his condition became clear. At first, it had been a discoloration of patches of skin, a whitening of the hairs. And then he noticed he didn't feel his scrapes or gashes from his rough play with friends like he used to. By the time Simeon was ready for his bar mitzvah, his rite of passage from being a boy of the Galilean shores to a young fisherman, he knew too well that his would never be the life he had imagined that his family had hoped for. The dreams and potentials of a young life on the cusp of fruition were pushed to the fringe of existence. A, so, a social pariah, a communal outcast, a despised leper. Unclean, unclean, he would cry every day of his life as his afflicted body passed by the clean, the pure, the unblemished. And while Simeon had faint memories of his life before his exile, a life of acceptance and inclusion. Bartimaeus had never known such joys. Blind from birth, Bartimaeus never knew the sights of the glistening nets that lined the shores as fishermen mended them, the rhythmic swaying of the palm trees in the afternoon breeze, the brilliant starlight in the depth of night. Arms, arms, arms for a poor blind man, he would cry every day of his life as he sat on the side of the road he could not walk down. Pitiably, a few would toss coins to him, ironically blind to the man who could not see. And Sarah, Sarah had loved the sounds of the marketplaces and roads and had lifted her voice there for many years. Yet despite the many happy years she had known, the previous 12 years seemed to hang over her oppressively. Continuously, yet without results, she had given all she had to anyone who might be able to help, as year after year her bleeding made her more of a recluse, 
as year after year, silence filled her soul. As any loved she had known flowed from her heart, like life-giving water draining from a cracked, fired pot. Silence. Silence filled her life, as she dared not remind those around her that she was still there, that she still suffered. If she were silent enough, despite all the love she had lost, despite all who had left her, if she just kept quiet, she might be able to stem the flow of her sorrow, though she could never stem the flow of her bleeding. Unclean, arms, silence. Each seemingly more deafening than the last, each from a life cast out, pushed aside, forgotten. This sacred cacophony of need seemed to rise all around the teacher as he passed through the villages and countryside, this sacred cacophony of the desperate, desperate for healing, desperate for hope, desperate for love, this sacred cacophony of brokenness reached out and touched his heart. As scripture says, when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Defiantly, Simeon, discarding the shame and ostracization, fell at the feet of Jesus as he passed by. And instead of crying out unclean, he said, Lord, make me clean. Resolutely, Bartimaeus, denying his total reliance of those that surrounded him, cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I want to see. And despairingly, Sarah, abandoning her silent fear of causing disruption, reached out with her last hope, inwardly thinking, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. For these and many other The teacher heard, he saw, he knew. Yet this was not just any teacher. This was not despite the Pharisees' best efforts, someone who could be reduced to a good man. Yahweh too, the God of Israel, had always heard and seen and known. To Moses in Exodus, he said, I have heard their cries and I have seen their suffering, and I know their sorrow, and I have come down to redeem them. Our great deliverer, our strong rescuer, our Messiah, the promised one who would heal and restore and redeem, our precious Christ. And Jesus said to them, I am willing. Your faith has made you well. The faith of a bent knee, the faith of an uplifted voice, the faith of a silent, outstretched arm, heaven bent on healing. To this faith, my friends, Christ responds and redeems, transforming cries of uncleanliness and need and deafening desperate silence into joyous songs of deliverance. Each of these stories, The story of Jesus healing the leper from Mark 1. The story of Jesus healing blind Bartimaeus from Mark 10. The story of Jesus healing the bleeding woman from Mark 5. All embody what Jesus says to the Pharisees when they asked him a question in Mark 2. Why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? Jesus replied, 
in Mark 2.17, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Christ's ministry, his setting of things right 2,000 years ago continues today. His call, his seeking out of the unwell, not the righteous, but sinners continues today. Take heart if you are needy, if you are weak, if you are insufficient, then you're in luck for the kingdom of God belongs to those such as these. To the poor, to the captive, to the blind, to the oppressed, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me this morning to proclaim the good news of the Lord's favor for you. Get many of those who heard Christ on that day in the synagogue. The Pharisees who heard Christ say in Mark 2 that he came to seek out sinners. They did not appreciate these words. Ultimately, they tried to kill him for them. In many ways, that too has not changed over the past 2,000 years. Many of those there on that day also had a peripheral association with their knowledge of the God of Israel and missed the making of things as they ought to be. What if you sit here too and you were quite capable and sufficient? What if the supposed radical teaching of Christ for the sinner and the weak doesn't actually apply to you because you are strong and and you're strong in your own strength? Because thank you very much, you don't really need things to be made as they ought to be you're quite happy with the way things are now. Perhaps you would have been among those who rejected the teaching of Christ in Christ in the synagogue on that day. Yet I ask you, in the quiet night of your soul, in true honesty, can we really say that things are the way they ought to be? In our marriages, in our families, in our communities, in our environment, in your strength, in your capacity, is it enough? I cannot. I simply cannot look at my own life and look at the lives of others around me and claim that things are the way we know they ought to be. And this makes me think of a friend of mine from school. While attending the Rifali Academy in Kenya, I made very close friendships with people from across the world. One such friendship was with a Kenyan boy called Chalomwindi, the son of diplomats. We were roommates in my first year at boarding school and a close friendship emerged. We were different in many ways. He was uh, fun-loving and sporty. Me, I was quite serious and bookish. But it seemed we drew from each other what the other needed and didn't find within ourselves. For him, this was mostly help with his French homework. And me a friend whose perpetual happiness never failed to light a room. Chalo was renowned for his blinding smile, which, um, if I may say, set against the backdrop of his very dark skin, seemed almost electric. Brotherhood was strong at RVA, and I loved Chalo like a brother. We ended up on different continents and in different lives. While I wasn't frequently in touch with Chalo, I heard that he had studied accounting, that he was living in Nairobi, and that he wasn't that happy. 
My twin brother visited Kenya several years after we left and caught up with Chalo. He said to me, I don't know how well Chalo's doing. He doesn't smile as much anymore. In 2019, on June 12th, Chalo decided with a finality that only death can bring that life was not worth the pain he evidently bore, that the pursuit of happiness was too costly an enterprise. And to say my heart broke for Cello is an extreme understatement. I wept in a way my wife had never seen me cry before when I heard he had taken his own life. You see, we live in a world where we are told the pursuit of happiness is the greatest of goods. The advancement and achievement of our own personally held aims and desires are set apart as supreme. But no matter how supremely we exalt them, the advancement and achievement of our own personally held aims and desires will never satisfy the deepest yearnings of our soul. For we need a resetting within ourselves, uh, not as things ought to be, ultimately defines each one of our lives. And as C.S. Lewis poignantly wrote it, if I find within myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. When we are told we must be good to ourselves, no matter the cost, and speak our own truth, no matter the contradictions, we set ourselves at odds with the fundamental makeup of who we are created as those in the image of God. Dissonance exists between the purpose for which we were made, that being relationship to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor, and it is set in conflict with a life dedicated indifferently to self-consumed happiness. In search of, if not an antidote, at least an anesthetic for the pain that surrounds us, the fact the world is not the way it should be. Unfortunately for many people, they are able to deafen themselves to the discordant tones of a self-consumed life. We are good at blinding ourselves. We have to be, so that we do not simply ignore what is in front of us, we do not see it at all. In doing so, we no longer hear the inconsistencies and flaws in the hurtful way we live. We no longer see the harm we cause, the way our selfishness damages us, damages relationships with our spouses, with our children, with our families. We no longer feel the emptiness this brings as with great power and privilege and pleasure, we isolate ourselves more and more in order that we might acquire a satiating drop of self-accessed happiness. But even though we may acquire that satiating satisfaction, we all know this truth, that the longest and brightest day of happiness must invariably be met with the melancholy and fleeting light of dusk. And once dusk, what light, what peace will hold you through these dark nights of the soul. Chalo knew things were not all as they ought to be. And some, too integrous to simply deafen themselves to the tones of life around them, some too true to give up their means of sight simply because what they see is inconvenient. 
some believe incorrectly that the light, life darkened so by blindness and deafened so by dissonance is a life not made to be lived. Yet please hear me. This is never the way. And I ask you this question this morning. What if there was a way not to simply deafen ourselves to the dissonance, but to resolve it into a beautiful melody? What if there was a way not to simply blind ourselves to the effects of our selfish pursuit of happiness, but to live lives differently? What if there was a way not to simply escape the sensation of inconsolable pain, but to see it defeated by the comfort of divine love? What if we were invited into a radically new way of living that through grace gives us peace? And this peace motivates us to live our lives dedicated to each other and not ourselves. You know, my friends, this is a message you may not expect to hear, but Christ did not die that you could live. I'm gonna say that again. Christ did not die that you should live. Christ died that you would die. Christ lives that you would live. Christ took our place and died and he invites us into that death that we might join him in resurrection life that transforms who we are. You know, Christ died and rose again. Let us not forget that. If he had just died, by the next morning, we would have found ourselves in the same place again. But he rose again to invite us into a new way of living. 2 Corinthians 5 is one of my favorite passages of scripture and it says this, for the love of Christ compels us because we have concluded this, he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for whose sake he died and was raised. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, behold, the new has come and this is from God who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongs against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. Christ is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. My heart still grieves for Chala. I don't know if a day will come where I'm not saddened at the suffocation of the life and light that shone from his life. Despite all that Chalo had in his life, wealth and comfort and pleasure without peace, the dissonance of his life drove him to the most tragic and unnecessary of places. Chalo did not need to live with the binary choice of deafness to the world around him or death. There is another way. I know many of you here, you live lives defying the fact that life is not as it ought to be by proclaiming the glorious truth that there is liberty for the captive and good news for the poor. That the gospel of Jesus Christ makes a way where there is no other way. Yet there are others with us in church who claim to know Christ, who have a peripheral association, but who are far less motivated 
less interested in seeing things change. Whether you are here today as a Christian or not, do not sell yourself so short as to respond to the disappointments and pains of this life by indifferently turning inwards. Do not toil in the futile labors of this world which will ever leave you longing. Dwell in Christ, in him who has birthed within you these desires, in him who alone can fulfill them. I wonder if the worship team would join me now. This is a message we frequently hear, yet I hope today that we would catch it as a fresh word. Our lives are called to be radically changed by the truths that we proclaim. And as I travel around, one of the great privileges I have is to pray over the people of God. Not because my prayers are uniquely powerful, but because prayer is powerful. And so I wonder if you would stand today. Sometimes we need to put our bodies in the place where we want our spirits to dwell. And so if you feel comfortable, I wonder if you would raise your hand or place yourself in a way to receive this blessing. And as I pray, I wanna invite you forward if you need someone to stand with us. We're just going to respond to the Lord and the message that we've heard today. And if you need someone to stand with you in that, please come forward. If you wanna respond to this radical invitation of a transformed, peaceful and gracious life, do not delay. And as we finish, I pray, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with love by the power of the Holy Spirit. May we, His children, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, be radically transformed by His message of grace and peace so that we may be instruments of peace to all around us. May you, being rooted and grounded in love, have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the very fullness of God. I pray that exchanging peripheral associations with the church, we would each embrace an intimate relationship with Jesus. And being changed more and more into his likeness, we would truly be salt and light in this world, that we would rescue the perishing and declare his name. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we might ask or imagine according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Amen. Please come forward. Let us not pass up this opportunity. Let us respond to the Spirit in this way. If you want prayer, please, it would be a privilege.